0: Now please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, I'll be beginning at verse 14. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Our God who speaks, would you please open our ears to hear your voice and soften our hearts to receive your word that we might see in all your glory who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. in the order of Melchizedek.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Andy. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you over a coffee afterwards. Um, How about we pray as we come to God's word and what he has to say for us. Father God... We thank you for being the God who speaks, that in creating us, you haven't left us wondering about who you are and who you want us to be. And we ask as we come now before you, that your spirit would be at work revealing us to truth, and particularly truths about ourselves and who we are as humans. We ask that you would work profoundly in our lives to shape us into the people you want us to be. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, happy Father's Day. Um, uh, uh, If you forgot, there's still plenty of time to call your dad, as I will be afterwards. Um, I didn't forget. I just... Yeah, anyway. Uh, It's so great to celebrate our fathers. uh, But it is worth acknowledging, isn't it, that Father's Day can bring mixed feelings. Um, For some of us, it can actually be quite painful to think of our fathers. Uh, either because they're no longer around uh, or perhaps they never really were around. Uh, Or maybe our memories of when they were around aren't all positive. But whether it's by their absence or their presence, whatever our fathers did or didn't do, it has a profound impact on who we are, doesn't it? For better or worse, so much of who we are is shaped by our fathers. And as a father, you can't help uh, but feel the weight of responsibility that you are a role model for your kids. But the problem is that Andrew alluded to earlier is that we all fall short of being the perfect role model, don't we? I mean, we try. We we know we're not perfect and we, we do our best to have a positive influence on the lives of those who look up to us. But is that really the best we can offer people, just trying to do our best to have a positive influence? Well, whether you're a father or a mother, an uncle, an older sibling, a grandparent, or just someone that other people look up to, is the best you can offer someone the best of yourself? Is there something better you can offer someone and say, hey, let's follow that guy? Don't follow me, follow him. All we're going to see this morning is that there is one person, one human, who is and was the perfect role model. We're going to see this morning that Jesus was the perfect human, which makes him the ideal role model, someone to follow, someone to base your life around, someone to try and be like, and to tell anyone else who will listen to you, follow him. Jesus' perfection will also see that it makes him far more than just a role model. It makes him our saviour. In fact, the only hope for humanity. Uh, Here at City on a Hill, we normally work our way through books of the Bible, but every now and then it's good to step back and look at what the whole Bible says about a particular topic. And so over this series, we're asking this question, what does it mean to be human? And since God made us, If we want to know who we are as human beings, well, we need to start by asking our maker. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that the reason God made us, the reason why we exist, is that we're to be images of God. He made us for himself, to reflect his love through our rule of the world uh, and to relate to him and one another in love. Again, reflecting God's glory as his images. And then last week, we saw how far we've fallen from what God has made us to be. We saw that we've rejected God's rule over our lives and we've sought to run our own lives without him, independently of him. Effectively, we've tried to become God of our own life. And everything that is wrong with the world and with humanity, it can be traced back to that one problem. Problem. All the suffering, all the pain, all the broken relationships, all the disease, the decay, the death, even death itself, it's all a result of our rejection of God. So what's the solution? What's the solution to broken humanity, broken fathers, broken mothers, our broken world? Well, there was a glimmer of hope last week. Do you remember it? Back in Genesis 3 where the problem all began. There was the hope of a serpent crusher. One of Eve's offspring would crush his head. And so we read on in the Bible and there's this question hanging there, this tension to resolve. Who will be the serpent crusher? What is God going to do with this evil? How will, ever things, how will things ever be made right again so that God can look at creation and say, it is very good. And as we read on through the Bible again and again, there are glimmers of hope. Great leaders arise and point people to God and do great things in God's name. And we're thinking, could this guy be the one? Could he be the serpent crusher? But they fall short. Time and time again, the curse continues. Humanity remains broken. So Joseph, he rescues his family from famine, only to have... Them enslaved by the Egyptians. And then Moses rescues God's people from Egypt, from slavery, but then they grumble in the desert and they die in the wilderness along with Moses. And then Joshua, he defeats all the nations and takes the promised land, but then he leaves behind some of the nations and they corrupt Israel with their foreign gods. And then the kings come and King David. Well, he's the humble shepherd boy, the man after God's own heart. He slays a giant. Surely he can slay the serpent as well. But no, David fails spectacularly. He uses his power to take another man's wife, and he makes her pregnant and then kills her husband to try and clean up the mess. Such a fall for someone so promising. But in the midst of all this human failure, God keeps giving us hope. God tells King David in 2 Samuel 7, One of your offspring will build my kingdom, and his throne will endure forever. And so along comes David's son, King Solomon. And God gives Solomon great wisdom and power and wealth. And he builds this amazing temple plated with gold. And Israel becomes this amazing nation. And the nations are flocking to Israel to hear Solomon's wisdom and see the splendor of Jerusalem. Is this the promised king who will crush the serpent? Yeah, nah. Nah. <laughs> Solomon, he's led astray by his many wives. His kingdom is divided between his warring sons and it's all downhill from there. Some kings, they're okay. Others outright reject God and follow false gods. Eventually, just as Adam and Eve were cast out from the garden, Israel is cast out from their land. First, the northern kingdoms then the southern, until only a remnant of God's people remain. But time and time again, through the prophets, God promises a king who will come, a deliverer, a Messiah king who will set up a glorious kingdom of forever righteousness, a kingdom of justice and of blessing. In fact, God himself will come down and rescue his people. And then there's 400 years of silence until one day a baby is born in a stable in a little hick town called Bethlehem, a few k's out of Jerusalem, to poor parents who had nowhere to stay. Perfect humanity began life in an animal trough. Angels announced his arrival, not to kings, but to the working-class shepherds in the fields nearby. Astrologists journeyed from the east to visit this baby because a special star had told them that great king had been born. Now you only have to read the Gospels to see that the man this baby grows up to be was remarkable. Everything about Jesus is flawless, faultless. He's so merciful, so faithful. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't read the biographies of Jesus, the books of the Bible called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and I don't mean read them in primary school or read bits of them at school scripture, can I challenge you? Read through them. I don't think you can read the Gospels and not be blown away by Jesus. To be persuaded that this guy is perfect humanity. See, humans, you and I, we were made in God's image. But Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 He's the exact representation of God's perfect being. Hebrews 1.3. No one has ever seen God. That's true, right? Have you ever seen God? No one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And if you want to know what humanity is meant to be like, look at Jesus. Does anyone know what what this device is? It should come up on the screen. Want to have a stab at it? Any engineers out there? It's an atomic clock. Uh, These clocks are the clocks that all your iPhones and Android phones set their time to. Um, The average wristwatch, it can lose about 15 to 30 seconds a month. Um, High-end precision watches, if you really want to splash out, um, you might get it down to five seconds a month, accuracy. Atomic clocks, accuracy, around one second every few million years that they they might lose. Now, if you want to know what the time is, the real time, set your watch to an atomic clock. If you want to know what a human is, set your life to Jesus. He is the perfect standard of what it means to be human. He's exactly what God intended humanity to be because in Jesus, God came to dwell among us as a man. Now, how do you try and summarize Jesus' perfection in one sermon? You can't. Uh, that's why we preach about Jesus every week. So keep coming back and hearing more about Jesus. But here are four ways we see Jesus' perfection. Firstly, he was perfect in love. No one has ever loved like Jesus loved. We see in the gospel his compassion for the sick, his tenderness toward the lowly and the outcast how he breaks cultural norms to speak with a Samaritan woman. He knows her secret and shameful past, and he loves her despite it. He eats with tax collectors and prostitutes, those that society had outcast because they were so far away from God, God who was standing right there in front of him. He invites himself round to Zacchaeus' house, the man who everyone despised and who had ripped off people all his working life. And then when a woman who had been bleeding for years touches his robe in secret and in faith, hoping that he he might heal her, he calls her out. He draws attention to her, not to shame her, but to honor her and to restore her publicly in front of the crowd. What a model of love, of goodness that Jesus is. Perfect love. Secondly, he was perfect in wisdom. Consider the timeless wisdom of Jesus' teachings that have shaped the world as we know it. Take the log out of your own eye before you try and remove your brother's speck. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Judge not, lest you be judged. And he deals with his opponents with such faultless wisdom and wit. Doesn't he give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Is it better to do good or evil on the Sabbath? You tell me whether John's baptism was from God, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Perfect wisdom. And thirdly, Jesus was perfect in weakness. Perhaps this needs a bit more explaining, so we'll give it a bit more time. The thing we need to understand is that as much as Jesus was God in human form, Jesus was really a human. See, I think sometimes we can think of Jesus as some kind of superhuman, like a a demigod, half God, half man, Uh, There are kids' songs that talk about Jesus as a superhero, which is kind of true, and it's kind of cool. So I'm not saying we should get rid of those songs, but it can kind of make us think that Jesus was some kind of superhuman, that he wasn't weak like us, that sin and weakness, it just bounced off him like bullets off Superman. But Jesus was not God disguised as a human. He wasn't God wearing a human suit. No, he was fully human. For all his divine wisdom and miracle working, Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got distressed and indignant. He wept. He slept. He often got peopled out and needed some downtime. And his miracles and his teaching, it was not done in his own strength. Every miraculous thing he did was in the power of the Spirit and in prayerful dependence on his heavenly Father. And it exhausted him. Besides, for most of his life, Jesus wasn't performing miracles and preaching. He was working in Nazareth as a tradee. His hands would have been scarred and his joints worn out by years of working as a carpenter. Isaiah, one of the prophets that prophesied his coming, he said there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. And the gospel writers, they don't say anything about Jesus' appearance. I think that might have been a bit premature if that <laughs> That's not Jesus. And yet Jesus was perfect, right? Which it shows us how different God's standard of perfection is to the way the world thinks. You can show Thor now if you want. (laughs) Who does our world think a perfect specimen of humanity is? Stunningly good-looking, perfectly chiseled body. Maybe it's something like Chris Hemsworth. Six-foot-three, He's got the looks, the body. He's got a great sense of humor. He gives generously to charity. Uh, He's one of the highest paid actors in the world, and yet he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's a family man. He loves to surf. He's got his own fitness app. If you want to get it, I haven't got it. That's why you can tell. Um, But when God becomes a man, it's not his physical appearance that displays perfect humanity. He was despised and rejected. And it had to be this way. Uh, In the letter of Hebrews, a couple of chapters before the passage we read, uh, Hebrews 2.17, we read, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Do you realize how far God stooped to become a man? This is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. In fact, it's considered blasphemous by Muslims and Jews. How ridiculous that the holy creator God would give up his heavenly throne to become a creature, to take on flesh with all its aches and pains and hungers and coughs and colds and limitations. It would be beneath God. To lower himself like that. It can't possibly be true. In fact, even some Christian sects throughout the ages have tried to make sense of it by concluding that Jesus must have only appeared as a man. But the author of Hebrews won't let us see him that way. He was made like us in every respect. If he didn't, he couldn't pay for our sins. See, he was made like us in every way so that he could become our high priest. So, in other words, so he could mediate between humanity and God. So he could represent God to us and God and us to God. See, in order to do that, to mediate, he needed to take on the weakness of human flesh and yet remain perfect. Which brings us to our next way that Jesus was the perfect human. He was perfect in love, in wisdom, and in weakness. And fourthly, he was perfect in his obedience to the Father. In the passage that was read for us earlier, Hebrews 4.15, it says, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. See, unlike Adam and Eve... Unlike each of us, Jesus never gave into temptation, but was perfectly obedient to his heavenly Father. And again, we need to get it out of our heads that temptation and sin just bounced off Jesus like Superman. No, he was made like us in every way, and he was tempted in every way, not just in a similar way to us, There is no temptation that you will face that Jesus didn't face in some way. He knows exactly how it feels. He can empathize with us in our weakness, and yet, He conquered sin. He did not give in to temptation. And likewise, Jesus knows what it is to suffer. There is no suffering you can face. That is beyond what Jesus faced. In fact, his perfection, part of how he was perfected was his suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says this, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. There's so much in those verses, right? But you can see Jesus entered into our humanity, into our limitedness, into our weakness, into our suffering. And and so he not only shows us what perfect humanity looks like, he takes on humanity for himself and he perfects humanity from within. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, one of the places we see Jesus' perfect humanity in his weakness, in obedience, and also in temptation and suffering, it's in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. We see his suffering as he tells his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death as beads of sweat dripped from his forehead like drops of blood. We see his temptation as he asks for a way out. God, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And yet we see his obedience, entrusting himself to the Father, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then it was on the cross that Jesus' perfect obedience was complete. Where his perfect love perfect wisdom displayed in perfect weakness, where he was crowned the Messiah, where he crushed the serpent's head. See, just as Satan thought he'd won a great victory, ha, I killed the Son of God, it backfires. As Jesus dies a death he doesn't deserve, and as his perfect blood is spilt. The brokenness of humanity is dealt with at the cross. And as Jesus rises from the dead, sin, death, and Satan are defeated once and for all. And so as we saw in Hebrews 5, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That is all who entrust themselves to him. See, Jesus didn't just come to live his life as an example for us to follow. He came to give his perfect life as a ransom for many. He came to die for those who would entrust themselves to him. See, since Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and ate the fruit, humanity has been held captive to the serpent. The serpent. We are all slaves to sin, trapped in this unending cycle of brokenness. And Jesus is our only hope of ending that brokenness. We need more than a role model. We need a savior. Just trying to be like Jesus is not going to fix your brokenness. In fact, it's when you compare yourself to Jesus that you realize How far I fall short. We're like a broken watch. We can try and keep setting our time against an atomic clock, but tomorrow we'll be off again. How often do you walk out of church and say, right, I'm going to be more like Jesus in this way and I'm going to be careful with my words and I'm going to be more loving and more generous and and more patient and I'm going to read my Bible more and pray more and be a better person and then by Monday you've already yelled at the kids you've forgotten to read your Bible and you're gossiping about someone at work see we don't need a better role model we need our brokenness fixed and that's what Jesus offers you A complete transformation, a new heart, a new mind, a new self, a new you. What we need is a great exchange to take place. One of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible is this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Will you let Jesus take on your sin and give you his righteousness? Let the perfect Jesus give his perfection to you. That's what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. How Jesus, the perfect human, fixes the brokenness of humanity. How he redeems us from our sin by taking sin on himself. And how Jesus and only Jesus can restore us to the glorious image bearers that God made us to be. Because Jesus is not only the perfect human, he gives his perfect life as a ransom for those who trust in him, to redeem us and to restore us to be the men and women he created us to be. So as we close, can I leave you with one question? Who are the people you look up to? Who do you want to be like? Or if, if you have kids, what do you want your kids to be like? Who do you want them to follow? Don't value what the world values. Don't look up to people the world looks up to. Looks and charisma and popularity and success. No, look instead to the one who was despised and rejected, abandoned and mocked, but who was perfect humanity. Look to Jesus. Everyone else will let you down. Everyone else will fail to be the perfect role model. Even the best dads will let you down. So if you want to base your life on someone, if you want to achieve something great, if you want to be the best person you can be, perhaps you're here today, you're feeling a bit directionless or unmotivated perhaps you'd hope for certain things to happen in your life and they haven't happened, perhaps you still have lots of dreams and optimism but you don't know what to do, you don't know what to choose well let me tell you there is nothing more precious nothing better no better use of your time no one more worthy of you giving your life to follow than Jesus he is perfect humanity And he's the only true solution to your brokenness. And there's nothing you can give to Jesus. Nothing you can give up for him. Nothing you can do for him and his kingdom that will not be worth it in the end. So follow Jesus. Entrust your whole self to him. To transform you into the man or the woman that God made you to be. To be truly human. Let's pray for him to do that now. Will you pray? Father God, we can see the whole history of humanity play out in brokenness, in rebellion, in hatred of you and hatred of one another. We can see how we fall short of your perfect standard. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love, for his wisdom, for how he fully experienced our weakness and yet was obedient to you until the bitter end. We thank you that on the cross he took our brokenness and made it possible for us to be restored to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we pray for any here today or hearing this on the live stream or in the future, any who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, would you work in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds, so that they might see the glory and perfection of Jesus, their own brokenness before you, that they may repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, be saved and transformed and given eternal life with all who follow him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up now. Uh, We're going to sing an oldie but a goodie. Um, It's one of my favorites. Uh, There's a line in this song. It talks about, it's called The Servant King. I don't want to leave you in suspense. Um, There's a line about Jesus' uh, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. What a beautiful image of the perfect human who gave himself Uh, to die for us, to set us free. So let's uh, sing of our servant king.